Welcome to the process of things. Does stuff work? This is episode six, personality assessments, sometimes known as psychometric assessments. Do they work? In this week's episode, we discuss personality assessments. With more and more focus on communication and culture development, everyone seems to be doing their colors or finding out their type. What's your communication style, your conflict resolution style? And there's a symbol or a name, you know, you're the rabbit style. That's a thing? It might be a thing. The list goes on and on. In Act One, we'll take you through the news. What's current with personality assessments right now? In Act Two, the funnies will just be very, very funny. In Act Three, the science, we'll take you through some of the sciencey, techy, data oriented bit behind personality assessments. And in Act Four, put it to the test, we will tell you do personality assessments actually work? And to what end? For what purpose? I'm Nicole North. And I'm Ruth Henderson. And we are your hosts today. Welcome to The Process of Things, where we take current business trends and buzzwords and let you know whether they actually work or not. Act one, in the news. Okay, so you're a huge fan of psychometric tests. You're certified. Big fan. Why is it so relevant today? Tell me about the current events. Well... Some of the neat news they're doing right now in South Africa in January, they announced that all child protection workers were going to be forced to do personality testing to help prevent any possibility of personality traits or tendencies that might lead to child abuse or pedophilia, things like that. My goodness. Mm -hmm. And then earlier in the month, South Africa, all government residential care careers um, were touted to have psychometric assessments done for everyone. Oh, wow. I wonder what they used those for afterwards. Did they just do it because? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether these kinds of assessments can really predict Mm. if you're going to be crazy. They can predict certain components of your personality and certain bits and pieces of how you might respond to scenarios, but... Mm -hmm. I know they've also tried to do um, Donald Trump's oh, Myers-Briggs yeah. type mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as an explanation for some of his tendencies. <laughs> I don't know if that really would help. <laughs> I'm not sure either. Let's not get political. No. But if you don't know, psychometric tests, according to the psychometricinstitute.com, are standard and scientific method used to measure individuals' mental capabilities and behavioral style. Psychometric tests are designed to measure candidates' suitability for a role based on the required personality characteristics and aptitude or cognitive abilities. So they've come up with a list of the best fit depending on the industry or the type of job or the responsibility that you would have? Yeah. And I mean, I think... You know, there'll be some critics out there that will say that that's not statistically valid information. There Mm -hmm. is no proof that personality style is directly correlated to um, your success in a job. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure there's there's likely a correlation between how happy you are. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to work too hard at doing something that is not a good fit for you, 
it's everything is going to feel like a yeah. lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's going to be real hard. Oh no, more we things that, that are hard. Everything's hard. Yeah. Right? So, and when you're doing the things that come naturally to you, it should be very easy. Now, does that mean you should only do all the things that come naturally to you? No. It means at some point you want to you might want to try exercising that other half of your personality. It's kind of interesting when you think about, you know, a lot of these assessments have been around a really long time and you would think that people are tired of them by now oh, and yeah. they're not I do think people are tired of them do you yeah I, there's been a ton of articles saying you know and we'll talk about it later in the science piece about you know MBTI I'm breaking up with you wow it's not me it's you right saying that this test is no longer a valid scientific source of information huh um and then people are coming up with just a new and different tool, right? Your colors, your animal spirit type, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, every one of those Mashable quizzes on Facebook uh -huh, is uh -huh. some derivation of Jungian psychology, right? Yeah. And how they describe how we do things and how we behave and how our personalities manifest themselves. Hmm. So it's all the same stuff. It's just been given a new lipstick color. That's interesting to think about that. And that's why it keeps popping up in the news. Otherwise it would just, you know, fade away. And well, people are always going to try and monetize their ability to right. try something new. Right. And I think one of the key points of today's podcast is going to be maybe not every test is right for you, mm -hmm. but if the test makes sense to you and it helps you describe some of your natural tendencies, your behaviors, your habits, your things that drive everyone else crazy. Yeah. And you can become aware and actually do something about it. Then it works. Yeah. And if it doesn't work for you, go test your animal spirit type or your Disney princess or who is your natural Disney princess. Maybe yeah. that's better for you. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it builds, we make light of it, but it's so true. If it doesn't work for you, it, doesn't work for you. I, I don't think you can oversimplify it. It's because son, we've been talking about this before, having the self-awareness to appreciate different pieces of information and put that into your tool bag of leadership skills or growth skills. And if any kind of assessment can even give you one little piece, does the whole thing need to work for you? No. But which one are you going to choose? So I think we're going to talk later about a few of them. Yeah. Blend it, and if it works, use it. Yeah. Act two, the funnies. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I actually have a, a funny per se, um, but I definitely get great joy from facilitating mm -hmm. um, people identifying their personality types. So the process that we use is people go do the online assessment. It's got 150 questions all geared towards determining which part of the uh, dichotomy type that you are. Um, and then we actually go into class and explain the different personality dichotomies and how they work and what the common characteristics are. Um, you know, we make light of it. We say, you know, sometimes this is some funny things that these people do and these people do when you have a preference for that type. And it is so joyful for me when someone recognizes their type and they can go, yeah, that's me. Like, I don't know. There's just some satisfaction in knowing that someone is really self-aware and yeah. goes, yeah, that's me to a T. 
I've seen both the joy and the funny. So I've seen <laughs> that um, where people get it and they, they come up to me on a break and they'll say, this is huge. I, I now understand why my preference is to behave in this way and why I'm having issues with this other person on my team and how I can work to bridge that gap with that person. The funny is when you see people or you actually hear them go, oh, like out loud. And they, they look at it and kind of even hit their face, like face palm and go, oh, I get it. I, I think that's really amusing. Or people read the descriptions and go, that's so me. And then they start to laugh and they're almost embarrassed to buy it. Yeah. And I mean, in some cases, some people, um, you know, one kind of common misconception is that personality dichotomy is a continuum, right? Mm -hmm. That you're either really introverted or really extroverted. That's not the case. MBTI states that you are either one or the other. You have a preference for one or the other. Mm -hmm. And where sometimes people get confused is where you have learned to exercise the other half, where mm -hmm. you have learned behavior that helps you do the other side that doesn't come naturally to you. Mm -hmm. So for myself, for example, I am... I have a preference for extroversion. It's very clear for me. Mm -hmm. The test shows it's very clear. If I were to start thinking about it, though, I would say, oh, but as I'm aging, I like staying at home more and I like, you know, sitting and being by myself or after I do training, I'm really burnt out. And I think that is learned behavior that set, that I have learned to say I need time to recover because I can't. Uh, I can't extrovert this hard all the time without mm -hmm. ramifications to my health. Right. Or I'm just tired. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so you've been amazing in our training at pointing out that difference that mm -hmm. um, just because you want to go home and go to sleep after work doesn't make you an introvert. Right. It just makes you tired. It just makes you tired. It's true. It's true. Um, the same thing happens. I think we're going to talk a little bit later about the EQI, the emotional intelligence uh, assessment. And it, people tend to look at that and they look at us, they get a score and then they look at it and go, oh, I didn't do very well. And it's not, that's not what the score is about. It's a comparison score, almost like a bell curve. In what percentage were your answers? And it, it doesn't have a grade. There isn't a better score or a, a worse score. And people really have, they struggle with that. A-type personalities. A-type personalities. Yeah, exactly. What? I got a 70? Yeah. <laughs> not good enough. Yeah, exactly. It's the same with... Uh the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type in oh, instrument. Yeah? yeah, there'll be people who think that certain preference types are better than others. Um, and that's not the case. It's really each of them have their own unique yeah. skills. And ideal organizations will make sure that they've got a well-rounded set of those skills. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's when I believe that imbalances occurs or uh, imbalances occur or when people are not aware of their type and how it impacts others. It's mm -hmm. always back to that impact, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You know, if you've got a preference for extroversion, you can be impacting others by expressing too much energy, too much stuff. It's overwhelming for people. And while it's great that you're great at presentations and great at dealing with clients, at some times you need to understand how to practice your preference for introversion and yeah, uh, that's exactly what the um, emotional intelligence does is it looks at how well-rounded are you in this one particular facet and 
How does that pair up with so many of the other ones? Act three, the science. The article I chose to talk about uh, for the science section today was um, goodbye to MBTI, the fad that won't die. Hmm. MBTI, I'm breaking up with you. It's not me, it's you. Wow. Yeah, and it was, you know, quite an aggressive... Tell us how um, you really feel. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Quite an aggressive article. And, you know, there were some interesting points in there that I could see um, why the author would believe it to be that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he used scientific validation. He says, you know, these four characteristics are on how uh, scientific something is. Um, Reliability, validity, independence, and completeness. And so he ranked the MBTI based on those four criteria and said, okay, starting with reliability. Um, When I took the MBTI test multiple times, the author said, I got um, one set of results the first time and a different set of results the second time. Well, we know that's possible. That's absolutely possible. Why? Well, uh, it depends on the situation you're in when you're answering the questions. And I think a lot of people struggle. They they wait for the MBTI test results to give them a label, like I said earlier, label me. And they don't understand that the way they answer the questions, the, the mood they were in at the time, whether they were thinking about work, 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 whether they were in a rush, whether they took too long to answer the questions, can all impact how they um, not score the results. Absolutely. And you have somebody who's really in a work mode and they go in and they do this, uh, answer all these 150 questions. They're going to most likely answer it from the perspective of, I can do these things that you're asking me about. Not do I love doing these things or am I naturally drawn to doing these things? I can do them because I've adapted to them in my work. So similar to uh, one of our clients where an awful lot of them have a job that is extremely people-oriented. They have developed skills to deal with people. So some of them have a very confusing result when it shows, um, it comes back showing that they have a preference for extroversion, yet a self-assessment would show the opposite. So how do you deal with that when you're teaching that, Nicole? Somebody comes in, they say, the test shows this, I did a self-assessment and it showed the opposite. Yeah, I would say that um, when you're taking the test, one of the things that impacts the reliability of the test is the mood that you're in or whether you are understanding that truly your answers to the questions should be your natural response. It's like handedness, mm-hmm. right? If I, I'm right-handed, if I sign my name with my right hand, it takes absolutely no effort at all. Um, I don't have to think about it. It's just what I would do without thinking. If I tried to sign my name with my left hand, on the other hand, it would take effort. I would have to stop and think about it, and I would try. Mm-hmm. I can do it. Mm-hmm. And with practice, I could probably sign my name pretty well. Pretty well. And if I practice signing my name 20 times a day with my left hand for the next five years, in all likelihood, I could probably almost make it indistinguishable, which, is more, which came more naturally to me. Right. Um, and that's really how... Um, the MBTI works. So when you are taking the um, assessment tool with the questions, you are to be answering with what is your natural preference. Mm -hmm. And some people still 
don't understand the difference between their preference and what they have learned. Yeah. And influences in their lives, their job, their spouse, the personality side of their spouse could have you exercising other sides. Yeah. Right? You know, you and I both know that I have a preference for perceiving, which means um, it takes me a long time to think through a particular concept. I try out a lot of different ideas, uh, a lot of them in my head, before I reach a point that I say, okay, now I can start doing the work. And then it's rapid fire to the end. Um, at home though, my husband's also like that. And so the two of us together would be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So I default and just have to take the preference of judging mm -hmm. and make sure that the garbage goes out on the right days. It's similar to the emotional intelligence, the EQI 2.0, um, a series of questions. And they actually, when you get the results, when the coach gets the results, it says, how long did that person take to fill out the, mm -hmm. the results? And the reason for that is that if it's too fast, somebody could just be clicking it because they've been told to take it. Just go click, 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 pick C every time. Yeah. And if it's too long, they're thinking too much. That's, you know, my favorite phrase from Hamlet, thinking too much on the event. Um, and that absolutely impacts and they get, they just get so mired into the details of the words of the questions that they miss the intent. Yeah. And a lot of people get stuck in, well, it depends. Sometimes mm -hmm. I do this and mm -hmm. sometimes I do that. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, everyone mm. does. That's why Some, sometimes I have a preference for feeling yeah. and sometimes I do, uh, what would naturally be associated with a preference for thinking. Yeah. Um, with, uh, with EQI, it gives you a score overall, and then it goes down a series of 15 different characteristics. And it has almost like checks and balances. And it says, you know, uh, you, you answered the question super quickly. When I did it, I answered it in something like 14 minutes, and the average is much longer than that. But that's just because I'm so used to doing them, and I read really quickly. But they ask you that, and then they give you a bunch of questions that seem conflicting. So if I came up with a few pairs of questions that were in conflict with each other, it might make the coach then say, let's talk about that. Uh, what might have caused you to answer this way or that way? So this ability to recognize those trends and then say, okay. So overall, it looks like emotional intelligence is landing in this area. And then there's some weaknesses here and some strengths there that when they pair up actually create, can create tendencies for you to have struggle at work with this type of thing. And that's when people go, Oh yeah. And they really, really get it. It's neat. The author of the goodbye to MBTI article also said that, um, the test wasn't valid, that mm. types don't affect job performance mm. and therefore it's an unreliable predictor of career type or anything like that. Mm. Duh. <laughs> I like, I wonder with people like that, did they, did they have a proper debrief? Did they have a proper understanding of the assessment? Did they just do it themselves online and then make their own conclusions? Because no practitioner would ever give that kind of result. You would do the test. You would do the self-assessment. You would discuss the differences and you would talk about how, this whole thing, whether it's emotional intelligence or personality preference types, it's about understanding yourself and how effective you are in dealing with other people, not about forcing other people to learn about you. So yeah, it does affect job performance, just like everything else when there's self-awareness and the ability to be right 
versus, sorry, effective versus right, you will naturally do better in your work. I don't know, well, like this guy sounds like he, you know, read a book and did it himself. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. And then uh, the next piece is independent. And he says, let's take for example, the preferences for thinking and the preferences for feeling. So this is a dichotomy on how you make decisions. This is a dichotomy on how you make decisions. So the preference for thinking says um, a more objective, logical approach to how you make a decision, stepping away from the people involved, a more uh, this is business, not personal type of attitude towards mm -hmm. decision making versus people with a preference for feeling who their first reaction, that gut, you know, signing my hand with my natural hand, that gut reaction is how is this going to affect people? Mm -hmm. And nowhere does the MBTI say that it is a continuum of those. You have a preference for one or the other. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't use the other. Yeah. It means that the other just might take a little bit more effort, like writing with your left hand. Well, and that your ability to be successful depends on building on those things um, to, to learn the other half of your preference. So if I'm clearly a thinking preference, I better learn to exercise the feeling side so I can be more successful when I'm dealing with you, For you sure. big feeler. I'm a huge feeler, yeah. even though there's no... There's no feeler. You big preference for feeler person. I have a big preference for feeling. <laughs> um, and then the last one is completeness. And the author said that the MBTI doesn't account for stress and pressure. And huh. I, I don't understand that. Don't understand because there is a lot of work done on how the types and, and type pairs actually react in Conflict. stressful stressful situations, in conflict. There's a lot of material on that. So that's definitely available. And I think it's quite easy to say that when we are in stress, I would say, I think everyone's going to have a slightly different reaction, but it could go one of two ways. Either you will act very much in type. Mm -hmm. So I'm in stress now and I can't seem to exercise my use of uh, the preference for thinking. I, I cannot, I cannot get out of my stressful situation and therefore I am locked up in my own feelings and keep processing things in the way that is most comfortable to me because yeah. I am stressed. Yeah. I am clearly not at this time going to start using something that's like writing with my other hand right. and is difficult. Right. And then oddly enough, some other people when in stressful situations will learn very quickly to adapt to the other side and, you know, start doing things in another way because it's the only way they can cope through the stress. So, you know, I definitely think it accounts for that. Is the MBTI a scientific label? Like it, it's not like testing my DNA. Yeah. It's complicated. Personalities are complicated and they're forever shifting and moving and reacting. But don't and you feel that people do use assessments as a label, as an excuse? I have met many people who have said, well, I don't really participate in meetings because I'm an introvert or better language. I have a preference for introversion. That's not okay. It is our job to work at the other side in order to yes. be more successful. Yes. You cannot fall to what just makes you the most comfortable. No. Because that doesn't make you a well-rounded individual. So that's what I think this guy is doing. 
he's using it as a label and saying the label doesn't work all the time, therefore it's flawed. And that's, he's missing the point. What do you think he would say then about other psychometric assessments, whether it's DISC or Colors or EQI or the host of others, maybe not the Disney Princess one, but all of those others, what would he say about those? I suspect it would be very similar. Yeah. I suspect his analysis of that would be very similar. I mean, I don't, I don't know what other assessment um, he might find to be accurate with respect to generating your. I mean, yeah. unless literally he was taking your DNA and yeah. saying, okay, people with, you know, this particular chromosome particular chromosome <laughs> have a preference for extroversion in which case if we can scientifically prove that then power oh, to you go and, nuts and that's the thing so he's looking for a label that is 100% correct all the time instead of understanding each of these psychometric assessments you're certified in MBTI I'm certified in EQI and there's a host of others all which give some kind of information Instead of looking at them and the science behind them and the numbers and the years that these have been in practice and the data that they have, to understand that there is a nugget of truth in them and to find that personal nugget of truth and act on it. And acting on that can only make you a better communicator, which can only make you more successful in your job. So is an ISTJ better at work than an ENFP? No. No. Are they going to struggle more in uh, jobs that require lots of feeling situations? Maybe. Doesn't mean they can't build that side of the dichotomy. So I'm not sure what this Yahoo is talking about, but there's, there is science behind assessments. If you are going to apply it incorrectly, you're going to struggle. Yeah. And there's definitely, you know, especially with the MBTI that has been around so long, mm-hmm. there's a lot more records of how people were tested versus how they self-assess themselves. So there's a lot of data there that's starting to validate how the test is used and how people self-assess versus how they just take the test. Um, And I think that in itself provides um, some scientific background and some statistical significance. The data pool. Yeah, the data pool pool for EQI is over 4 million respondents. And then they... Uh, break it down further into, um, you know, subsamples and all that. And they have enormous samples of information. So. so it's possible. It's possible. But like, it's not like taking a blood test. No. Not the same thing. Act four, putting it to the test. When have you seen these type of assessments work really well or not at all? I've seen them work really, really well with people who, strangely enough, like the five podcasts before this. <laughs> we <laughs> didn't know, plan it, we swear. You know what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. For people that have a goal and want to grow and learn, for people that have self-awareness and people that are willing to understand they need to try something new, it works really well for them. And the, the cool thing is I, I always come back to um, the ability to communicate and for people to switch their thinking that... I'm talking to you, Nicole, and so really you just need to figure me out if you want to understand me. And the shift in the thinking is no longer, that's no longer acceptable. If I want to be successful working with you, I need to adapt my thinking to how you're going to receive my words. It doesn't mean I'm changing who I am. It doesn't mean I'm damaging my integrity. It means that I recognize that in order to be effective, 
I need to really think about how you will best receive my words. And people really struggle with that. So when I've seen it work, it's people who get it and they'll say, oh, I understand. So I had in um, a recent training session, there were two people sitting next to each other, one of whom had a, a, a preference for thinking and the other one had a preference for feeling. And neither one had adapted the other half of the dichotomy. In other words, some people would say a strong thinker, a strong feeler. No, preference for one and the other. And they had never tried to think the other way or to change their they weren't, so, they weren't yeah. self-aware that they had a preference for one or the other. Right. So, so they're sitting there as we're going through the training. And at the end of it, they said to each other, I am so glad I sat next to you because I had no idea how I sounded. And the other person, this was the thinker, and the person who had the preference for feeling said, I have learned to stop assuming that all of these kinds of remarks from people with a preference for thinking are personal attacks on me. Oh, it can be a huge it was, relief. It was so relief, uh, so much of a relief for her. So to see that work and to see them, we didn't tell them to have that discussion. We certainly didn't seat them next to each other. We didn't know what their personality preferences would be, oh. but they came up with that on their own and they went away with it knowing they could change their language in the future and really think about the person that they're dealing with. So when you have that kind of group come in, Absolutely, it can work. And when it doesn't work or when it's a little bit more challenging is when uh, people are uncomfortable labeling themselves or they're not self-aware enough to recognize what they are. And I remember, I know I always kind of look at people and they say, well, I'm not sure whether yeah, they can't. I'm an introvert or an extrovert. And I, you know, I cock my head and I say, really? You don't How? know yourself. You don't know yourself. Yeah. Um, and I say that sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. It takes a little bit more practice, um, particularly people with a preference for S. So that's uh, sensing. And that's how people like to take in information. So it's actual verifiable facts, observations, data, versus people who have a preference for intuition, who like the big picture. They like ideas. Let's, ideas. let's give it a shot. They're always uh, you know, willing to just go with their gut, give it a try, then go back and validate and try again. Uh, more of an iterative thinking. So your people with a preference for S will be very resistant most of the day. Mm -hmm. And you know, there'll be a lot of yeah butting. You mm -hmm. know, yeah, but what about this? And yeah, but sometimes I do that. And yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah but what about this? What about that? Wait, I don't, you know, and there's a lot of challenging to the material and the concepts and, you know, not, not being open to there being some flexibility and recognizing that we're very complex individuals. Right. Um, and they, they walk away from the, um, assessment or the discussion still not being able to label themselves and they've been dying to do it and they can't figure it out. They struggle with nature versus nurture. And they've got no data to prove it. Yeah. So they, they're, it's like they're kind of unwilling to accept it until mm -hmm. they can witness it. And it's those people that go home that night. Yeah. And they start interacting with other people and listening to the words they use, listening how they talk. And that's when they have this aha and yeah. they say, I get it. Yeah. I saw it. I witnessed it. It's verifiable now. Yeah. These preferences do exist and they do come with... Um, ease for some and not for others. Um, and that's also a magical moment mm -hmm. in the end. Mm -hmm. So it's not that 
that psychometric assessments work or don't work. It again depends on the openness of the person. Yeah. Just like anything else. Try something new, to explore yeah. themselves, to become more self-aware. So to, it's how much it will resonate. They always work, but it may not resonate with you. That's exactly right, Ruth. Mm -hmm. Wow, so you really... I just summarized that whole thing. You really did. Yeah. You really did. So <laughs> in closing, the news says that psychometric assessments are being used in some regard to predetermine people's criminal tendencies. Yes. Um, and goes all the way to saying that it's garbage. Yeah. It's quite a huge span. Um, we say that with the right receptivity to something like this, you can have great success in mm -hmm. impacting the way that people communicate with each other and interact with one another and um, feel satisfied and fulfilled and happy and complete and well-rounded. Yeah. Survey says? It works. Thanks for joining us today. Check out more of our work. Check out At The Whiteboard, our blog on www.whiteboardconsulting.ca and on Twitter at whiteboardcons. Next week on the podcast, we tackle dun dun dun. Six Sigma. Oh, come on. Grown. <laughs> Special thanks to our awesome collaborator, Jason Hatcher, creative director and visual designer, for your vision and support in the production of this podcast. Check out his work at www.digitalanalog.ca.